Hello and welcome to episode 427 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, John, coming to you from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, bringing you the best rock, hard rock, heavy metal, and blues talk on the net. Episode 427, we're joined by a Pittsburgher through and through and a Pittsburgher at heart. Uh, we're joined by the vocalist of Vintage Trouble, uh, Ty Taylor, who, uh, as we talk about in the interview, uh, spent uh, several years in Pittsburgh uh, during his education. Uh, he is band Vintage Trouble has been enjoying tremendous success uh, snowballing into uh, a bit of a phenomenon. They're going to be doing a show at Jerkles on December 1st, so we're going to play a little bit of their music in just a minute. And we're also joined by uh, Chip uh, of Chip and the Charge-Ups and a special guest to talk about a new charitable endeavor he's got going on. So we're going to play you a little bit of Vintage Trouble to give you an idea of what to expect from them. Uh, Again, this features Ty Taylor, and we'll get into that interview. Thank you. 
welcome to Iron City Rocks. We have on the line Ty Taylor. How are you doing, Ty? Hey, how are you, John? Nice talking to you. Pleasure. Um, you're going to be actually in a, in a lot of ways coming back to Pittsburgh. Uh, I, I saw you were a student of Carnegie Mellon back in the day. That's that's right. That's right. Good old CMU. I know I know the whole thing. I used to live in Shadyside. I used to deal with all the cold. Three Rivers Winters. <laughs> yeah, so you, you know what you're stepping into when your booking agent took you through Western PA in, in the beginning of December. Uh, yeah, I did. And, 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 <laughs> but I don't think the rest of the band knows. <laughs> yeah, and hopefully the loan officers from CMU aren't at the door waiting for, for those payments. Um, fantastic. For me? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I was I was there on full scholarship. Oh, <laughs> so I don't have people at my door. <laughs> you, you don't need you don't need platinum platinum albums. You could say full ride to CMU. You've you've achieved more success than a mortal man. That's fantastic. <laughs> That's fantastic. Can I just out of curiosity, you know, I I think you know when the world you know it thinks of CMU and even you know we in Pittsburgh think of CMU we think of you know getting the computer lab you know kind of stuff you went there actually for acting and and music is correct yes 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 I was a drama major and music theater as well and um yeah no it was funny you know because from where I'm from you know like because I grew up performing so you know I was actually surprised when I got to Carnegie Mellon that it was a tech school you know I just knew it as like you know one of the one of the best performing conservatories so that's all I knew and then when I got there I was like wait a minute you mean there are other people here besides performers <laughs> that's excellent you know I, I, I grew up yeah. and, and work in the tech field so to me it's kind of like you mean they have an acting school you know so that's that's interesting to see no now. I mean I know now now I do know I do know they call, that's why they call the school the fruits and the vegetables <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a, it is an interesting blend in in, in a fantastic institution. Uh, and it's it's great yeah, to see, definitely. you know, uh, you know, we can call you an adopted local boy doing well. Um, your band, um, in the relatively short time you've been together, have amassed some incredible opportunities. You know, looking at you know the supporting, you know, you guys have opened for like rock royalty. Uh, you know, performing at Paul Stanley's birthday, playing with the Who. Um, is it seem like it's come fast? I mean, obviously you paid your dues for quite a while even before Vintage Trouble got started. But I mean, have you been pleased? You know, with the ascent that you guys have had. Um, well, I guess. I mean, the, the fact that we got to do these shows, and you know, we stood on the stage. You know, we, for example, we opened for ACDC. And we're on a stage in front of like 130,000 people one night. I mean, the idea really is for anyone to not feel any kind of satisfaction from that. They'd have to be numb and cold and, and crazy. So, I mean, the things that we've gotten to do in this amount of time are astounding to me. And, you know, they define me. Um, no, it's, it's not been, um, to me, it doesn't seem like a, a fast amount of time because, you know, I'm impatient. So, <laughs> but but it's uh, but it's it's one of these things where there's just so many so many great places we've got to go um, on the coattails of other bands and and our heroes even and so to me the only thing is that you know 
um, when I when I go to bed at night, that we work on as a band every day, thinking about is you know moving that forward for ourselves and not just having to be a support band. So as much as you appreciate being a support band, you know you want to be able to to fill those arenas and fill those stadiums by yourself. But at the same time, um, you have so much gratitude for the fact that you got to be there. Yeah, and it's really interesting you bring that up because you know I, I think a lot of people who are fans of you know especially the classic rock era will look at it and say who's next you know it's great to see guns and roses come and play a stadium or you know the who fill out ice hockey rinks but who are the bands that are going to be the next wave of this in rock music not you know granted post malone and there are many country acts that can fill arenas but you know, it's no. great to see a band. And Beyonce, Beyonce, yeah. Beyonce yeah. Absolutely, yeah. but it's great to hear from a you know a, a musician. And I hate to pigeonhole you guys as a rock band because there's so much more to what you guys do. But to hear a band with, let's just say, guitars, drums that isn't playing country music, you know, with aspirations of that. Um, right. As far as styles, I mean, I listened to your voice and it was interesting because I didn't hear the cover you had done of the Otis Redding song until much later into listening to your band. But I, I was like, my God, this is kind of like your voice reminds me so much of Otis's. Um, but it's interesting because the style of music is, you know, you guys have got elements of funk and soul and rock and, you know, there's a lot of swagger to it. Um, do you guys? I mean, when you when you got together, was this just sort of the sound that came out of the four of you, or did you discuss? You know, we wanted to do a twinge of this, a little bit of that. How do how do you you know how did the sound well, think, kind of come out of you? I think when we went into it, we discussed uh, wanting to 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 dive into the sounds and the feel of 1950s and 50s rhythm and blues music and that's all we that was the that was the helm and i think because of our different backgrounds um luckily what that did was it made us not feel like a typical rhythm and blues band and you know um because our guitar player is a is a rock and roll guitar player and a blues guitar player and our drummer is a rock and roll drummer automatically set the music into feeling different than just rhythm and blues. As a matter of fact, most people associated more with rock than rhythm and blues. And, um, and so I think uh, just, which is a great sign in, in, in trusting who you are, because if, if you know who you are and where you come from, um, and if you choose not to shortchange the specifics of your limbs artistically, then it's going to not sound one-on-one, whatever you're doing. You know what I mean? Like if you go into something thinking I'm, we're going to be in rhythm and blues band, but you know, I allow myself to be as soulful a singer as I, as, as I am not just a rhythm and blues singer. And um, we add the rock and roll elements to it, not by choice, but just by nature. Then you end up with this sound that, you know, people have a hard time describing, but really all of this is rhythm and blues music with, you know, with um, inspiration, uh, from where four different people come from. Yeah, yeah, and it's certainly. Yeah, I think the fact that you didn't just okay, we're going to be a rhythm blues band. We're going to do rhythm blues standards. We're going to do it in that kind of the style that everyone is used to hearing. You might be playing very tiny little bars right now. Um, you know, based on um, the well, way you, you guys. Then you have to think about Amy Winehouse, and she did okay. She wasn't playing yeah. small bars. Yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> point taken. Point taken. That's, yeah. <laughs> But um, 
and I think one of the other things you guys have a certain visual element. You know, you've got kind of the the cool look and the moves with the suits, and and you guys, you know, you can tell that you know someone you know has got an artistic direction, even just in the publicity shots and you know uh-huh. the way the band uh-huh. is packaged. You know, obviously you guys have been working with Doc McKee, uh, whose name I think you know, anybody who would be listening to this would know the name. Um, how did you guys kind of come to that partnership? I mean, that's not, you know, you don't think of him necessarily as taking a band, you know, in its infancy, you know, because of the people he's worked with. Well, you got to figure he took Bon Jovi in its infancy and made it Bon Jovi. Um, a lot of people, a lot of people don't know even like the, the doc is so great. Like, you know, at 26 years old, he managed, um, James Brown when he was 26 when when Doc was 26 you know he was James Brown's manager he managed Diana Ross he's like has an eclectic taste um and the way he found out about us is we were playing in town we'd only been together for uh three weeks before we played our first show within our first three months we had recorded our first record the bombshell sessions and um and then he just heard about us and he sent out Snake Sabo if you know Snake Sabo is um uh, he came to see us, and at the time, uh, his band wasn't playing as much, and he was working um, as a manager with Doc. And then Doc came after that, and it was just really fast. And um, they said, let's go to England, and we did that. And so we went to England right away, and we did the Jules Holland show, and, and that was kind of the beginning of the big touring. I mean, um, I'd known Brian May because I did uh, the show We Were Rocky with him. And uh, and then he'd also seen us on Jules Holland, and right from there, Brian May asked us to after the tour with him so he went from Brian May to Bon Jovi to uh, The Who to Mindy Kravitz to um, The Rolling Stones to ACDC to these kind of things it was, it, it was crazy so in that sense it was very Cinderella you know um, but then again you know what most people should should know when you're saying when they hear you say abandoned infancy um, that we were all grown men already, you know what I mean? And so it wasn't, it wasn't um, we weren't boys trying to do it for the first time. We'd all um, done a lot of things prior to it. And we, um, and I think Doc saw that uh, there was a potential there for something to feel new to the world, but kind of hit the scene with some experience that people couldn't explain. Absolutely. When you're touring, Ty, if, if you found, um, you know, you mentioned some of these artists, uh, particular audiences are a little more favorable or, or maybe audiences you enjoy stepping out to, you know, maybe an ACDC audience who might look at you guys and go, okay, this is not what we expected from the opening act. Um, there are, you know, do you find in you know, different situations the band comes off better or you enjoy the challenge more? Um, it's never really felt like a challenge that much. Maybe especially in the rock world uh, I'm not sure if many African Americans would put it this way but maybe because of the fact that having a face like mine in front of a rock and roll audience mm-hmm. automatically not makes them you know most people think it could lead to a prejudice thing but it's actually the opposite I think I think what it leads to is a face that people are used to seeing in front of them in a rock and roll setting mm-hmm. and so I think that works to our advantage you know like uh, you know being in front of an ACDC crowd is great because they don't think we're trying to be the next ACDC the Rolling Stones I think we're trying to be the next Rolling Stones you know there's something so different about it that I think it works in our favor um, as far as the, my favorite audience I would say probably the Lenny Kravitz audiences mm-hmm. and um, and the Who's audiences. Yeah, and it's interesting you mentioned, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, whether it's conscious, unconscious, you know, Lenny Kravitz, I think, in a lot of ways opened 
a lot of doors, you know, mentally. Yeah, yeah, I think Jimi Hendrix kind of blew the whole house up. I don't think he opened the door. <laughs> but I think, you know, I, I remember the time, you know, when, when Lenny came out with the Mama Said video, and you were like, damn, you know, this is cool, and, and it's got, you know, just such a feeling to it. Um, you know, in yeah. a lot of ways, when I watch you perform, um, you know, I can... I feel some of that same vibe. I mean, and your voice, my God, your voice. Um, you know, like I said, and that was not to, you know, say you're a Otis clone, but I mean, you can feel that that raw emotion that you get from Otis Redding almost more than just oh, saying the pitch or the sound of your voice. Um, that's obviously a huge compliment. Um, Booker T. I know you know you know our cover of this album, but um, Booker T just put out a new record called Note by Note, and he chose his favorite you know recordings of all times and and did new versions of them. And he asked me to do These Arms of Mine on that, so just, that's also a new recording of These Arms of Mine that I got to do. It was just crazy to get to do it with Booker T. You know, it was it was really wild. So hopefully, you can check that out too. Yeah, I remember. You know, you know. It seems like yesterday, but sadly, it was several years ago. You did a song with Government Mule, um, you know, during the Shout album. Um, you know, oh, right. you, you listen along. It is a big fan of Warren Haynes, and me too. He me sings, too. you know, and then to hear you was like, whoa, who, hey, what, what Warren do? And then I read the line and I was okay. Uh, yeah, it was it was a really great pairing because you, you know he's you know their music uh, so genuine and really does kind of cross into some of those um, R and B type of, of things with his voice and, and to hear your voice in there yeah. was fantastic. Um, can I ask? So it's actually it was I'm also sorry. another honor for me, just like in the same way that that um that I got to do this uh, the Booker T record, you know, because you know obviously Otis can't do it, so I'm so stoked. So he asked me to do it, but also with the um, with the government mule record, um, Bobby Womack was supposed to have done it, and then he got sick, and so that's why I got asked to do it. So to be able to to be a call that happens in the replacements of my heroes is it's 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 definitely very empowering, and um, it, it gets rid of a lot of insecurities that one might have because you know that they could choose anyone and they chose me, and so it makes me feel dope as fuck. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're, you're exactly right. To be second on the list to do those songs, uh, yeah, that, that's saying a hell of a lot, you know. Because you know the third place yeah. singer kicks ass too. I mean, so you know that's a really great place. Exactly, to be. exactly, exactly. You guys exactly. in the in the last few years have done the chapter two EPs. Um, just curious, you know, from a, from a business perspective. You know, is it, you, why EPs as opposed to doing that as just one full length album, or is is it, it or you um, know, an LP for well, lack of a better term, not maybe a viable product in the market these days? Well, it was an ex- we were we were doing a lot of experimenting with sound and writing and and um, contemporary technology and these kind of things, and so we wanted to also see if we could learn from a motto that's something that we didn't grow up with, which is give people smaller amounts of music and then give them more chance to absorb it and then they get to absorb more when you put on another piece. So we were really just trying to follow 
um, something that the industry was saying is supposed to be the way to go. Um, you know, most people, as you know, don't even listen to MP3s. Most people are only listening to singles. And so um, we just needed to try it out in order to not feel dinosauric. Yeah. Now, do you do you think that formula? Did we works? like it in the long run? Do we when we go back to albums? We'll probably go back to albums. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it is. It's a it's a great point though because you're right. I think you know, especially streaming technology makes it so damn easy to just next. You know, oh, okay, I got two minutes right. into this song. Right. I think you know what he's doing next. And, and it's mm-hmm. almost criminal in a way. You know, when you you know, I think a lot of people don't realize the, you know, how well, well rep- is, repetition. No, not only repetition, just the art of it. You know, like, you know, I'm, I'm by, by vinyl nonstop. It's still an art that the art of listening to it is still something I get into. Like even now as I'm interviewing, as I'm talking with you right now, you know, I had just been working out. So I'm talking to you on my stomach and my legs are up. And it just, this particular position I'm in talking to you right now is the position I, I remember um, album release day for a new album I got. Because you always like have the album open. You'd always be on your stomach. You know what I mean? You'd just be reading the lyrics. It was just that. The position I'm in is that vinyl position. It's a full album position. So um, it's a world that some people will never have any idea about, I think. Because I don't think we're going to move in the other direction. And, um, and it's just up to um, artists like us and um, people that have voices like yourself to keep reminding people of, of, of the glorious time that was. And that's why, I mean, for us, we sell more vinyl records at our shows than we do CDs. And so um, maybe that will make people sit and listen to our music and then they'll make them sit and listen to other musics. You know, I was reading this thing online the other day where they were saying that um, this year, 2019 will be the first year that vinyl records outsold CDs. So I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, and it's great to see, you know, like even just the art of sequencing the tracks. I mean, there was so much beauty to that in, in you know, some of the, the, you know, the great albums that, you know, the ebb and the flow of the album's songs as you go through it. You know, where if you put all the bombastic stuff on one side and all the slow stuff on other, it might really suck. But if you could get, you know, slow song, bombastic song, you know, whatever, tempo variation really makes a big difference. Oh, really? But also there's some, I think, you know, I mean, I can't name one too, but I'm sure you could probably find one you love too. There are those albums that did do the uh, bombastic on one side and slow on the other side. That was kind of cool too. Remember, they would have like, one side would be the partier side of the album. The other side would be like, you know, the man who loves side. And that was always cool too. But a case in point being, it was... In order, and that was nice. <laughs> and it, it was for a reason, right? Yeah, I, I, I love those days, and I'm sure you have albums like this too, where you can hear a song end and already start singing the next song before it even comes on. You know? Oh yeah. You don't oh, get yeah. that with your Spotify playlist, you know, unless you're really, really in a rut. Right. Although, although in its favor, I will say I do get that too because I have. I, there's this one annoying thing on my phone where it just automatically plays this playlist. I don't know how to get rid of it, and it comes on every time I plug my phone into my car. And so I can definitely, so I can definitely tell what song is coming next and you know what key of the song, you know what I mean? But it's, it's in the same way you're talking about with that album. You know the key and you know, like it's everything. You know the amount of seconds of when the downbeat drops. It's pretty funny. But um, but I do, con- I do connect that to an album time, like you're saying. And it was just, it was just, it's, I mean, so great. You know, even, 
even the idea, you know, some people will never even understand that whole sound, lifting the album, you know, lifting the needle off the record. And sometimes it can be smooth and how, how satisfying that is opposed to lifting, lifting it off. And you hear that just that little bit. And then like, what a, what a jarring feeling that is. And then, you know, even putting it down and hearing the crackle before it rolls. Yeah. Um, that's, you know, that's a, a romantic, uh, a sound. I mean, really, when you say it, I think anybody who's, you know, of a certain age thinks of that time. And it's a nostalgic mm-hmm. sound. You know, oh yeah, and you know now artists. you can tell you can tell when people try and put it on there now, fake on their records, like it's not even really part of the hiss, but like you know they know what it will do to people's bodies when they hear it, so they yeah. add it to even a digital record. Yeah, not, not a not a bad plan, not a bad plan. Well, Ty, I don't mm-hmm. want to keep you. Uh, you guys are rolling into Pittsburgh, back into Pittsburgh in your case, uh, December first. You're doing yeah. a show at Jurgles, which uh, just north of the city in Warrendale. So we uh, can't wait to see you come in and, and wish you guys uh, tremendous success. And, and hopefully, we'll be seeing you guys in arenas packing the place in uh, before too long. Exactly. All right, perfect. All well, right, thank Ty. you. And great talking to you. All right, again, that's Vintage Trouble. Ty Taylor and the band will be in town on the 1st of December, which by the time you hear this, it's going to be pretty much uh, very close to the show. So if you like what you heard, you like what you you know what he had to say, get out and check that show out. Uh, definitely a band on the rise. Um, so get a chance to see them in a nice intimate gig while you still can. We're going to turn our attention now to Chip of Chip and the Charge Ups. Chip has been on, uh, obviously, as a member of the Charge-Ups, I believe twice, don't quote me on that, uh, but also uh, as, as a solo artist uh, with his band Chip Demonic uh, back, uh, really as far back as this show goes. Uh, Chip has always been a, kind of at the forefront of Pittsburgh music, one of the hardest working guys uh, and a real genius at promoting uh, his bands. So... He uh, started an endeavor this year uh, with a single that he wrote, uh, Black and Gold Christmas, and uh, decided to partner with the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank. Uh, we're going to hear from Brian, who uh, works there, and Chip about uh, this partnership, what they're doing. Um, I know in, in what we do, we get a lot of uh, exposure to different songs that are written about Pittsburgh, specifically sports songs. and. And by and large, they can tend to be a little bit corny, you know, I think, uh, but they're meant to be. They're kind of a tongue-in-cheek thing. I don't think anybody takes a Here We Go song deadly serious. You know, it's not Carol King. Uh, so, you know, for what it is, it's a great thing. Um, so Black and Gold Christmas, though, I have to admit, hooked me in immediately. Uh, it's a fantastic video if you have an opportunity to check it on YouTube or you can visit our site. We'll, we'll post the video as well. So we're going to play Black and Gold Christmas for you, and then we're going to get to Chip and Brian of the Food Bank to talk about how you can help. Coming back to the 412, I got all my presents bought. Mom got all the pierogies made, put a chair in my parking spot. Doesn't matter if that skyline's sprinkled with rain or snow As long as I can cross the bridge and get to the place that I call Streets, but if it's too slippy, then I can see the 
tree that's at the point on the Empire Station Square. We celebrate as a melting pot, a living love that's understood. This is what Mr. Rogers called a beautiful day in the City Rocks we have from Chip and the Charge up we have Chip and also we have Brian Goolish of the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank on the line. How are you guys doing this afternoon? Great, how are you? Doing well, thanks for having us. We are doing great here as uh, all three of us uh, here in the Pittsburgh area have kind of got to what will be the last day of, of any kind of summer-like weather as we fall off a cliff and, and head towards the holidays. Uh, and the timing of that, I think, is very uh, apropos as uh, Chip and the Charge-Ups are set to release Black and Gold Christmas. Um, so, uh, Chip, why don't you, you talk to us a little bit about how this idea it came together and what exactly the scope is. Yeah, the um, the idea came together kind of as a culmination of my desire to write a Pittsburgh-themed Christmas song for years, really. And, uh, you know, every year rolls around, and by the time you're in the Christmas spirit, uh, it's like kind of too late to <laughs> write a song, record it, um, and, and release it, and then and then promote it. So um, this year, I vowed that I would not let that happen. So in July, I started uh, I started writing the song. Uh, we recorded it. We started record it, recording it in August. Um, didn't get the uh, the guest vocal parts down until October, but that was still fine. We had enough work done that we could uh, we could get uh, get the uh, the song out released uh, in November 2019. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's funny how those those Christmas thing works. Everybody thinks in November, boy, it'd be cool to do a Christmas song, do a Christmas album, and then you realize you can't do it that fast. Even if you could get the track recorded, you know, it's January before anybody's going to be able to hear it if you're lucky. Um, right. So when, when you 
we're trying to write the song if I can kind of get in your head you know mm-hmm. it's July it's Pittsburgh it's humid it's 85 degrees how do you <laughs> conjure up or, or how painful is that to conjure up images of slippy sidewalks etc <laughs> yeah well what what I did there's a there's a technique I used for it um, that I've only used on a few songs that I've written and that technique's called mind mapping and basically I'd start with a blank sheet of paper and a pen and then I start drawing things, uh, drawing ideas and writing down words that I think would support the theme of Pittsburgh Christmas. So I started writing down things like, you know, slippy sidewalks and uh, chairs in the parking lot and the tree at the point and, uh, and things like that. And uh, before I knew it, I had a sheet filled um, with way more ideas that, than I could ever crowbar into a song. So I started writing line by line, adding some things, subtracting some things, and, uh, and until I came up with a good combination, what I felt was a good combination of different themes uh, that supported the lyrics. So that it was definitely a different different approach to writing the song than I usually do, uh, that I usually take. But um, I think it, it worked out pretty well, and um, I think all the parts kind of fit together. Yeah, you started talking about mind mapping, and all I could think of was Eleven in the Hawkins Laboratory there in Stranger Things. Just some more <laughs> going into a, a crazy technique, but that, that's really cool. Um, you've got a lot of guests on this this track, and you just kind of give us a who's who of who we're hearing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's so special to me that we were able to uh, gather some of my favorite voices from the Pittsburgh uh, music scene and and have them appear on this track. So that was, uh, you know, that was awesome. It's an honor for me to, to really have each and every one of them on it. So in addition to myself and Melina from Chip and the Charge Ups singing vocals, you'll also hear Liz Berlin, who is from Triple Platinum recording artist Rusted Root. Uh, you'll hear Doug Carnahan, who is uh, a member of After the Fall, which uh, has a great tie-in with Iron City Rocks. It's sure. After no the strangers. Fall has been voted <laughs> right, right. Uh, they've been voted best rock band uh, by your listeners for the past five years. Um, we have Jen Craven uh, from A Common Crown, and Char Fields, who is the powerhouse gospel vocalist. Um, who really helped us take it to the next level. So definitely, um, you know, a fun and talented cast of characters that helped us out with this. Yeah, no, you, you, um, you know, with something like this, there's obviously costs involved. Was this just something you decided, you know, I want to do this, or was this, you know, kind of leftover time from a session you already had? Oh no! This was this kind of uh, of a um, of an investment of its own, but also you know this is part of um, an album where Chip and the Charge Ups is going to be coming out with in 2020. But obviously, we wanted to um, get this song out as a single uh, first and foremost. So mm-hmm. it, it kind of had its own investment, but it's all kind of part of the the budget for the third album. Sure, and you've got that you know the the Nat King Cole Natalie Cole. Uh, you know the really special nature of having your daughter on, on the track is you know in a, on a holiday thing that's just, just timeless so uh, you know hats off to you for that 
Um, can you Thank talk you. A, a little bit about how you got involved with the, the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank and, and how that initiative is, is playing out? Yeah, it's it's kind of worked out uh, perfectly in, in terms of setting the, the partnership up because, you know, as we recorded the song um, as a ba- the bass tracks before the, the guest vocals, and I thought, you know, Christmas, it's a Christmas song, Christmas has a has a giving spirit to it that time of year, so it would be great to tie in with a charity. So I started started brainstorming and you know thinking about okay, kind of like tying things together. Okay, Christmas is celebrating uh, the birth of someone who preached uh, about the virtues of loving your neighbor and feeding the hungry, among other things. And, um, you know, whether you are religious or not, or uh, a follower of Christianity or a follower of other religions, what have you, I think any good-hearted person can agree that, you know, loving your neighbor and feeding the hungry are are good things to do. And so I thought, okay, let's let's focus on, um, you know, a feeding feeding the needy type of charity, and then um, started researching some, some uh, food-related charities, and then you know, the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank um, is one that I've known about before, but it's it was really clear that, you know, these people do what they do so well, so efficiently, and, you know, uh, comparing them to, to other food charities throughout the country, throughout the world, they're among the best at what they do. So, you know, rather than trying to do it ourselves, I thought it'd be a great idea to partner with someone that's already doing it and doing it well. Um, I contacted Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank, got in touch with Brian real quick, and, you know, I, I feel honored um, that they loved the idea, jumped on it, and uh, and partnered with us and were, and were happy to work with us on raising money for their mission. And Brian, can you talk a little bit about, you know, for those who – frankly live under a rock or maybe aren't in the Pittsburgh area just a little bit about you you know the services you guys provide yeah so we we help people who we classify as food insecure a lot of people think hunger um, which hunger is a component obviously but when we describe food insecurity it's not necessarily knowing where someone's next meal is coming from so in southwestern Pennsylvania we've got one in seven families who are food insecure and don't necessarily know where that next meal is coming from they're making difficult choices um, that can impact their the food that they have supplied. So we're talking, especially this time of year, um, paying the electric bill or the gas bill um, for heating. Uh, we're talking about um, you know paying medical bills, and a lot of times that is it takes precedent and it shouldn't, but it does take precedent priority over food. So that that is the definition of food insecurity. It's also you know parents skipping meals so their children can eat. So then the parent um, is going without a meal. So it's it's having that adequate access to three meals per day, and one in seven families um, don't have that here in southwestern Pennsylvania. So that's where we come into play. We provided 35.5 million meals last year. Um, it still doesn't fill the complete gap. You know, we work with other food distribution services across the area, um, you know, ourselves, Just Harvest, 412 Food Rescue, and there's many others. Um, we're all working to combat food insecurity, um, and, and our goal is, as a whole, is to eliminate hunger. Sure. Now, you are then. Do you then coordinate with like food distributors or manufacturers, or et cetera, for 
you know, to purchase things like at wholesale and then the distributor, or is it strictly donations? Yeah, so it's it's both. It is we do we do make purchases wholesale, um, and we have our own inventory at our warehouse in Duquesne. Um, but we also take food donations, and that food is then distributed to um, nearly 400 partner agencies that we have. So soup soup kitchens and food pantries, um, we distribute out that way, and those pantries are able to order through us what they actually need and what they want. So it's not like we're just throwing food at them that may or may not be what they're interested in. And they're able to go onto our site, pull up our inventory and choose what it is that they actually need for the people that they serve. Okay. So so if someone's not in the immediate Duquesne, you know, McKeesport area, there's still you know means for them to, to be benefiting from your services. Yeah, and that's just, you know, that's one area that it's sometimes a misconception. Mm-hmm. Every, everything is a food bank. You know, we are the food bank, and then we supply, um, and just in definition, to those food, um, soup kitchens and, and the soup, soup kitchens, food pantries and soup kitchens, yes. Chip, you guys have put together a T-shirt for, for um, to raise funds for the, for the food bank. Can you talk a little bit about the design and, and where people can get that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we had uh, a company called Deluxe create uh, the black and gold Christmas artwork, and they're actually the same company that did uh, the Chip and the Charge Ups logo. Um, So that beautiful design that mashes up Christmas and Pittsburgh imagery is on the front of the shirt, and on the back of the shirt, it lists um, all of the uh, musicians who contributed uh, to the recording of uh, of Black and Gold Christmas, and those T-shirts are available from um, Chip and the Charge Ups web- website, which is thechargeups.com/store, and we are donating 100% of the profits from those T-shirts to um, the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank. So that's like a dedicated um, fundraiser um, that we have. That we're using uh, this opportunity for. Um, you know, to create some some real uh, impact within uh, within the Pittsburgh and surrounding areas. And um, those can you talk, those are just done through mail order, then correct? Or you be selling those at any of your upcoming shows? Yeah, we actually will be selling them at our upcoming shows as well. So um, while they're available for uh, mail order, um, you know, they will be available at our shows as well. So. Um, you know, we, we, we look at every way we can um, to get these awesome shirts into the hands of uh, proud Pittsburghers, even proud former Pittsburghers, um, so that uh, they can share their Pittsburgh pride and that, uh, you know, we can we can raise some money for uh, for the people who, uh, who would like, you know, need uh, food on their table to kind of continue on. Sure, absolutely, and even those who would like to be Pittsburghers out there, you know, we know they've got people listening around the world. <laughs> Everybody wants, everyone would like to be a Pittsburgher. We know well, that. And then, and then, just add to Chip's point, you know, mm-hmm. for every dollar that we raise through this campaign, that provides five meals. So okay. again, every, just every shirt alone can provide multiple meals um, for those families in need. So the impact is, you know, it's it's a lot greater than a lot of people think because we are able to take that dollar and put it a long way. Yeah, I think you know maybe people have a misconception. You know, buy a T-shirt for X amount of money, and I go to, you know, to support another local Pittsburgh institution, Giant Eagle. You know, you can buy X amount of groceries with twenty-five dollars, and we all know that twenty-five dollars doesn't go too far. Um, And that's not a knock on Giant Eagle, but just the reality of of inflation. 
but you know you guys have leveraged buying power and obviously resources that are different than what you know I get when I go buy my chipped ham so um, you know that, that's a really good point to bring up um, so we urge everyone we'll include a link obviously on our website and uh, we wish you guys the best we're going to obviously play a little of the song for the folks to hear and I uh, wish you guys a great holiday season and uh, thank you so much for your time today listening and uh, talking to us thanks yeah, thanks so much, uh, John, for getting the word about the song and the, the charitable efforts out there. We, we really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. I echo that. All right, that about wraps up this episode of Iron City Rocks. Um, you can check out Chip and the Charge-Ups, a uh, new song, Black and Gold Christmas. I will have a link for that on our show notes. Also, Ty Taylor and Vintage Trouble at Jurgles on December 1st. You can visit us at ironcityrocks.com or on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter. Are all Iron City Rocks. Just look it up. It's easy to find. We're also on Snapchat. If you want to follow us, you can drop us an email at ironcityrocks at gmail.com. Love to hear from you guys. So, until next time, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.